Corinthians 12. As we continue to worship through the proclamation of God's word. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to, to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Father, we are grateful that, that we gather like this as a body of believers to just stop, to focus our minds and our hearts on you. We thank you for the gift of your grace that we could do this today. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come, to come and overwhelm us with the truth and reality of Christ and the gospel to overwhelm our hearts and minds with the hope and joy and the reality of who we are because of Christ. Do these things because you love us, because you are always operating for your glory. Do these things because you love our city and you love the nations. We pray in your name. Amen. We come to a new chapter with a new topic in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, introduced by him with this familiar phrasing, now concerning. Now it's now concerning spiritual gifts. This topic will consume chapters 12, 13, and 14. This topic of spiritual gifts, and, and, and what comes to your mind when you think of spiritual gifts? Special spiritual powers? non-natural talents and abilities that you weren't born with but were given, maybe an online assessment with the three gifts you're most inclined to experience, maybe controversy about which gifts are still in use today, maybe it's just really all so mysterious you just avoided it, like I don't want to touch it because it just seems weird. I actually have old sermons that I've preached in other churches that I, I wish I could go back to the churches and say, can I do that again? Like, i got some things off. I'd like to, to, to redo those sermons for y'all. For the Corinthians, a church heavily divided and disunified on so many issues, it's not a surprise that they would also be divided on something like this. And while Paul tells us this is a topic change, now we're switching to spiritual gifts, he doesn't really tell us what exactly the issue is. Like chapter 8 through 10, 8, 9, and 10 all go together about food offered to idols, but he tells us from the very moment of chapter 8, okay, here's the issue. But this one, he just introduces the topic of spiritual gifts and then begins to tell us what they are and where they come from. 
So we have to kind of infer from this chapter and from chapter 14 especially what we think was happening in the Corinthian church. And it seems as though the issue in the Corinthian church was they were taking what you might call the more glamorous gifts, the more showy gifts, and they were exalting them as being more important, more uh, super spiritual, and the people having those gifts as being more spiritual than the less showy, less glamorous gifts. Namely, speaking in tongues and prophecy. And this was causing a lot of disunity because those who had these gifts were looking down on those who didn't have the gifts. And those who didn't have the gifts were looking up in an envious way to those maybe who had the gifts. And you, were, you had created this second-class Christian situation where the first-class Christians had the gifts and, and you poor little second-class Christians, you don't have these gifts. Or it could have been another idea about what could have been causing disunity in the church. It could have been they were expressing to Paul this genuine joy that they had spoken with tongues of angels, which Paul would deal with in chapter 13, and not the tongues of men. And Paul is, is very gentle and pastoral in dealing with them as he, as he moves them through, okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what that really should look like in your worship gatherings. Now, all of this has to do with the gathered worship experience of this church in Corinth, which is a topic that he, he, he introduced in chapter 11. So they all work together, 11 through 14, to talk about what happens when they gather as one body. But chapters 12 through 14 really work together as, as almost like a sandwich, some say. Where you have the bread, chapter 12, chapter 14, very similar topics, dealing with tongues and prophecies. And then the meat, the essence of these three chapters, is the love chapter in chapter 13. Chapter 12, he begins by laying a foundation for spiritual gifts, their importance in the body of Christ. 13, he points that the real issue isn't the spiritual gifts, but the fact you don't love each other in the Corinthian church. And then 14, he deals specifically with some issues uh, in exercising in these gifts when you have a gathering of the church to worship. But he begins by helping them make a clear distinction between the source of what they are experiencing and what they should be experiencing. And you see that distinction in a couple of ways in the opening verses. First, the word translated as gifts in spiritual gifts mentioned in verse 1 is not the same word in the original language of the New Testament as the word translated as gifts in verse 4. And that's a really important distinction. What the original language literally says in verse 1 is, now concerning spiritual things, or even now concerning spiritual persons. The root word is the word pneuma, which means spirit, wind, breath. It's the word always used to, uh, that was always translated as Holy Spirit. And the word in verse 4 translated as gifts, and what he uses through the rest of these chapters is what some of you may be more familiar with. It's Paul's more common word for gifts, charismata, from the root word of charis, our grace, our charis. We get our word charismatic from that. The Corinthians prided themselves on their grasp and their abilities in the spiritual realm. They were very proud of their abilities. Look at all the things we can do. Maybe kind of similar to our superhero origin story movies when they discover they have special abilities and, oh, I didn't know I could do this. I could jump on buildings and I could fly and I could shoot lasers out of my eyes and all these different things. And so the Corinthians were showing up in these worship gatherings having these incredible ecstatic messages in tongues or words of prophecy. And Paul begins here by saying, okay, let's talk about these things that you're experiencing, these spiritual things. But in verse 4, in the remainder of this section, he refers to spiritual gifts in this word charismata, grace gifts from God. And, and you see, and we'll dig deeper into this, the emphasis is not on their abilities as though they should be puffing out their chest because they have these special abilities. The emphasis is on the sovereignty of God in giving these abilities, giving them these gifts, empowering these gifts. 
You see, these gifts are not about you and your powers, and these gifts do not belong to you, but they are about how God is choosing to work in you and through you. So Corinthians, from the very beginning of this section, verses 1 through 3, as we discuss spiritual things, remember charismata. These are grace gifts. You've received these. And because of that, we see the second emphasis of the opening three verses, the importance of discerning between the work of the Spirit of God and the work of other spirits. Verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, things, persons, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Don't be ignorant about this. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And the essence of the difference between what they should be experiencing from the work of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, versus what they may have been experiencing in pagan God worship ceremonies hinges on their view and relationship with Jesus Christ. Either the result of the work is the Lordship of Christ, or it's the opposite of that, that Jesus is accursed are less significant or not important. And there's a lot of debate about, about how this idea of Jesus being a curse would actually show up as evidence that the Holy Spirit is not the source of this work. Like, does it literally mean people say those words, Jesus is a curse? That's evidence. I, I just said them. That's not evidence that a, another spirit is working in me other than the Holy Spirit. Or does it literally mean saying Jesus is Lord, saying those words? Is that what he's talking about? Well, certainly those words could have been used, especially if some of these new believers have a Jewish background for whom the gospel was a stumbling block because in their view, anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. So you're trying to tell me that Jesus is the Messiah, but he died on the cross. People who die on the cross are criminals. They're cursed by God. They're not blessed by God. But more than specific words out of someone's mouth is the orientation of one's life. What the Holy Spirit produces in the life of someone in whom he is working and moving is a lifestyle that reflects Jesus is Lord versus a life in which the person and work of Jesus is not viewed as essential, significant, or precious. You see, Jesus is always the hinge. Jesus is always the litmus test in which authentic work of God is tested. It always comes back to Jesus. John would write in 1 John 4, 1-3, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So John, even John writes, test the spirits. How do you test the spirits? What do they say about Jesus? Every single alternative or perversion of Christianity and the gospel changes the essence of Jesus. Islam, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Buddhism, Jesus is not fully God, Jesus is not fully man, he's not co-eternal with the Father, and his life and work is not fully sufficient to provide for our salvation. He didn't physically rise from the dead, he didn't ascend to his Father in heaven. Jesus is just a good guy that we should be like if we would do good and work really hard at being good. He's like an example. Just be like him because he was such a good rabbi, teacher. Even in Catholicism, Jesus gets a co-redeemer in Mary, and Jesus alone isn't sinless, so also is Mary. But what the Spirit of God genuinely produces in the life of a believer is this orientation that Jesus is Lord, King, Boss, Ruler. 
He's in charge. I'm not in charge. And if He's in charge, then He sets the parameters. I don't set the parameters. And He gets the glory and adoration. I don't get it. And this is what was not happening in the exercise of spiritual gifts in the Corinthian church. It's more like an Avengers movie where every superhero is standing around bragging about whose powers are more significant and more important. Oh, Captain America, you just have a shield. Big deal. I can do this. It's a lot of look at me, look at me, when the Spirit of God actually should be producing a lot of look at him, look at him, look at Jesus. You see, this kind of boasting was a problem in this church and was divisive. Paul had already said in in chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, I have applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything good you have is because you've received it, because God has graciously given it to you. So why are you boasting as though it is not something that He has given to you? Every single thing you have is a gift of God's grace in your life for which He alone deserves worship and adoration and devotion. Every single thing in your life of which you're tempted to boast of, your life, your accomplishments, your possessions, your health, your kids, their accomplishments, their health, everything is a gift of His grace to you and is intended to be given back to Him in worship and adoration that reflects Jesus is Lord. He's the King. I'm living under His rule and His reign. And I'm not my own King. Everything in our life is intended for us to live a life that reflects Jesus is essential and the most significant one in my life. Not, eh, you know, I think about Him a lot when I come in here, but other than that, I'm just kind of doing my own thing. He seems important. He's helping me for now, but I better give him some due. But you're really just treating Jesus in a very dismissive manner. That's, that's equal to saying he's accursed. He's not Lord, so what is he? If he's not Lord, then he's a crazy person saying the things that he said. Right? He's self-delusional saying those things about himself. So, so saying he is Lord with your life or saying he's cursed are really the only options that we have. He, he cannot just be a nice teacher. He can't just be a nice guy. He didn't leave those options available to us, as C.S. Lewis famously said. And it's the person and work of the Spirit that is working in us to, to bring our lives to that point, to remind us of what Jesus said, to point us to what Jesus has done. And the Holy Spirit will produce in us this growing dependence on and affection for Jesus, some of the greatest evidence that you're genuinely born of God. That you're genuinely regenerate. That you have come alive in Christ. Some of the greatest evidence that that is the reality and condition of your heart. Is how do you feel about Jesus? Is he more precious? Is he a treasure? Is he who you value? Is he who you love? Is he who you're pursuing and pressing into? Is he more and more the object of your affections and worship? This is great evidence that the Spirit of God is alive in you. That's where he's taken us. 
And for the opposite to be true, for Jesus to seemingly be inconsequential to your life, for Jesus to be relegated to somebody you might think about when you show up in a building like this, but not really someone who's driving your life, is either evidence that you've never truly come alive. And that, that could be somebody in this room. We live in the Bible Belt South. Everybody's a Christian. Not really. So it could be evidence that you've never truly come alive. You've just been this religious person who's, who's tacked Jesus onto your life. Or it could be evidence that you have so much stuff piled up between you and Jesus that he no longer has the affection of your heart. And the Holy Spirit today is like wanting to work in you and say, look, I'm better than all that. I'm more precious than all of that. It's not going to satisfy you like I'll satisfy you. See him, treasure him, enjoy him. This is the work of the Spirit in you. The work of the Holy Spirit, in fact, the work of the triune God is to also give us spiritual gifts as He chooses for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. So you see this in verses 4 through 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to the one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, here's where if you've grown up in the church, you've been in the church for any length of time, you have some kind of experience with this idea of spiritual gifts. And like most things in the church and in life, you have these two extremes that you want to avoid, and the correct position and manner of living is somewhere between those two extremes. So in one extreme, you have what you might call the charismatics. The reality is we've all received these grace gifts, charismatos, so reality, we're all charismatics. But I'm thinking the more stereotypical negative connotation of this subgroup of the church, the TV, health and wealth, prosperity teachers, or worship services, more defined by chaos and disorder and self-boasting than the exaltation of Jesus and the triune God. There's a video online of a church that some of us have sent around to each other, some guy singing a song, and, and it looks like this just little church, and people are sitting there, and, and it's a normal worship service, you think, until these guys start taking off running, and hooping and hollering, and taking off their jackets, and whipping them around, and throwing them on people, and it culminates with this guy just nosediving, flipping over into the baptistry. And that's, that's what we think is going to happen if we open ourselves up to all the spiritual gifts that God has provided for the church. Whoa, we don't want to be that church. No, we don't. No, we don't. I'm going to get like 20 requests for a link after the worship service today. And so that's, that's one extreme, just chaos, disorder, goofiness. And you, some of you may have grown up in that or have seen that. My wife... Uh, Jennifer went to a church when she was, uh, went to college was looking for a church to attend in Pineville. And when they started barking, she's out. Left her umbrella. They have a free umbrella to this day. Just not going to be a part of that. Of course, the other extreme is what some of us grew up in, the typical Southern Baptist-type church. Best explained, uh, one of my seminary professors told us that he had a professor tell them that in the typical Southern Baptist church, if the Holy Spirit died, it would be six months before they found out. Because we're so programmed and so routine-driven. We're just doing stuff, so busy with our activities. I don't think I need to tell you where we tend to skew in the Crossing Church. 
right? And maybe what we're a little more afraid of. But we don't have to be afraid of what the full expression and operation of the gifts of God could look like in a local body of believers. Sam Storm's written a great book, Practicing the Power, and he talks about trying to do this in the church he pastors in Oklahoma. And people called him crazy. He's trying to enjoy and exalt and exclaim the, the sovereignty of God and preach through the scriptures and make much, have a high view of scripture while at the same time seeing a church fully experience all that God has intended for the church to experience. And most people said, you can't do it. But they've been doing it. And other churches have been doing it. So why do we not need to be afraid of this? Why should we pursue this? Well, I'm glad you've asked. Some reasons found in this passage. Number one, our triune God is sovereign over the appointment of gifts, and he gives them to every single believer. Our triune God is sovereign over the appointment of gifts, and he gives them to every single believer. Notice, that, again, the presence of the Trinity in verses 4 through 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Who's Lord? He just told us. Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and every one, every one. The doctrine of the Trinity is thick in 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, you could go on from there and, and see the, the work of the Spirit in this remaining section. And then the, the, the work of the Son, the body of Christ. And then the chapter ends with this work of God who's appointing and empowering all of this. Now, this was not a doctrine formally quantified by the church for another few hundred years, but it was a doctrine fully experienced by the church from day one because it's who God is. Paul sees this. So while verses 7 and 11 seemingly put the emphasis on the Spirit being the giver of gifts, what we really see throughout this passage is a triune God behind it all, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Spirit is mentioned primarily because, but behind it all is the source and power as the full expression of our triune God. In fact, later in chapter uh, uh, this chapter, verse 28, it says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. So it's not just the Spirit. It's, it's God, the full expression of the Godhead. Now, we'll deal with this more next week and in chapter 14, but these chapters also say, verse 31 of chapter 12, But earnestly desire the higher gifts. 14.1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So, so what is it? Pursue these gifts, earnestly desire them, or God is sovereign over them and appoints them and gives them to everyone as he chooses. Which one is it? And the answer is yes. They're both true. And it's another example of the responsibility of man working hand in hand with the sovereignty of God. God being sovereign never intends for us to end up on the couch waiting for God just to dump it on us. Doing my job, just give it to me. Here we go. If your view of God's sovereignty ever leads to complacency or laziness or apathy, whatever will be, will be, then you don't understand God's sovereignty. We are responsible to earnestly desire and to pursue and to repent and to run the race and to wake up and get up and make the most of our time living passionately and purposely with great intentionality, not because we are sovereign and we're going to accomplish in our lives what only God can accomplish, but it's because God is sovereign and he chooses to work through our activity to accomplish what only he can accomplish. And it's a mystery, but it happens and has happened and is happening. 
So that people are saved, not by God writing the gospel message in the sky, but people are saved when his people go and preach the gospel to them and get in their lives and share Jesus. And we go and preach the gospel with full confidence that God is at work and can save and transform lives. And we pray because we believe that through our prayers, God can and will providentially work and move as he chooses and works in conjunction with our prayers. And it's a mystery. And in our spiritual gifts, we desire and pursue and ask for gifting and abilities, knowing that he is only going to give what he chooses and for the moment and what the opportunity calls for. And he chooses to give these gifts, these manifestations of the Spirit, verse 7 says, to every single believer. These are not for the super-Christians. These are not for the ones who went to seminary. If you are alive in Christ, you have been gifted with manifestations of the Spirit of God. These don't come with maturity. It comes with life of the Spirit that you receive the moment you're born of God, born from above, spiritually resurrected, the moment you come alive in Christ. And no one is left out. No one is overlooked. Everyone matters. Every gift, everyone is gifted in some way by the very Spirit of God. This is not what we see, in, again, superhero movies. I just think of spiritual gifts and superheroes all the time. This is not what you see in superhero movies, where some people are born with these gifts or given these gifts, or they, they blow up some bomb, and then they get this gamma radiation, and they turn into this, this, this creature. And then they're saving all of us normal people. That's not the spiritual gifts. If you are a child of God, you have them. You have them. This is the church of God. Everyone gets in on this. No one's left out. If you're eight years old and you were born again, born of God, the life of God lives in you, you have been gifted by God through the Spirit of God with a gift. And we want to call you out and ask you to use it to bless the body of Christ. If you're 88, no one here is 88. If you're 68, 58, it's not, it's not too late for you, right? Life's not over. You can use the gifts that God's given you. There's no varsity in JV. We don't have starters in a bench. As we'll see through the rest of the chapter, everyone is in the game. Everyone matters. Secondly, the use of these gifts is the manifestation of the Spirit of God alive and at work. The use of these gifts is the manifestation of the Spirit of God alive and at work. Why? We, we see in this passage this. To, to which, when we understand this idea that, that the use of these gifts is the Spirit of God being manifest in our life, our response should be, okay, then what, what does that look like in my life? How has the Spirit of God gifted me to manifest His life and presence in my life through my life? God's giving me this gift. God's empowering this gift. They are the manifestation of the Spirit. Okay, what does that need to look like in my life? You're, this is what Jesus... This is why Jesus could say in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. Certainly Jesus didn't say that because we would live a sinless life, die a substitutionary sacrificial death on the cross and rise from the dead, providing atonement and salvation for other people. We, we don't do that work of Jesus. Only Jesus could do that work. And we share that, we experience that, the resurrection, the coming to life, newness of life, walking in the Spirit. We share all that, but we didn't do that work. Only Jesus did that work. But we can do, as Jesus said, greater works than these, because as he says, I'm going to the Father. What was he talking about? Well, what happened when Jesus went to the Father? Acts 1, 8, and 9. 
But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, as he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus ascends, and the Spirit comes. And now the body of Christ isn't one man in one region for three years doing the work of God, but first it's 120 in the upper room in Acts 1. And, and then by the end of Acts 2, thousands in the city of Jerusalem, and thousands more by the end of Acts 4. And then thousands in Jerusalem become thousands scattered to Judea and Samaria in Acts 8, 9, and 10. And by the end of the book of Acts, you have thousands scattered all over the Roman Empire and in the city of Rome from, from where they could go to the ends of the earth. And for the last 2,000 years, it has been millions upon millions to almost every corner of the globe. Now, we're not there yet. According to the Joshua Project, we have over 7,000 people groups and over 3 billion unreached people. But in the life of the church operating fully in their spiritual giftedness, the Spirit of God is moving and transforming, and more and more people are proclaiming Jesus is Lord. It really is amazing and a tad overwhelming when you think about it. You, as a child of God, understanding and operating in your spiritual giftedness, not only are you manifesting the Spirit of God so that through your work, God is showing up, but you're part of this bigger movement that Jesus referred to as doing greater works than he did. More and more miracles, teaching, authority, manifestations of God's Spirit and power. He was one man in one region basically for three years alone. We are the body of Christ. We're able to impact dozens of areas in our city just today. Like if we, we left here and went eight and 20 restaurants in Monroe. Well, there's not 20 restaurants open in Monroe. 12 restaurants in Monroe. We, as the body of Christ, would be impacting 12 restaurants just today. Bringing the word of Christ, the love of Christ, the hope of Christ to whoever we interact with in that restaurant. And that's just today, one meal. Multiply it by all who are part of the crossing and all who are part of the body of Christ throughout our city and, and all the places that we live and work and play and eat and shop. This is the presence of Christ today. This is who we are, what we get to do. Thirdly, the operation of these, these gifts result in the common good of the body of Christ. The operation of these gifts result in the common good of the body of Christ. So this is amazing. Let's get to it. You should say, okay, how do we do that? Well, understand that the operation of these gifts result in the common good of the body of Christ. So let's, let's walk through some practical implications of all this. If you fully get and believe you are alive in Christ and God has given you spiritual gifts that manifest the Spirit of God, so what's next? It's you operating in them for the common good, for us to all benefit from. What are the gifts that we can have? Well, in this passage you see uh, categories of gifts. So in verses 4 through 6, he says there are varieties of gifts, Varieties of services, varieties of activities. And then you see specific gifts mentioned in verses 8 through 10. The utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. Now a few things to note. There are five such lists in the New Testament. Here in the, the beginning of chapter 12, later in, on in 1 Corinthians 12, there's another list. Ephesians 12, there's a list. Um, not Ephesians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. None of them are the same, and none of them are exhaustive, but representative. Overall, you've got about 21 distinct gifts, but it's, it's more than just 21 distinct gifts. As the Lord had intended that there only be 21 distinct gifts for the body of Christ, and there would be harmony between these lists. There would be clarity. There would be 
uh, clear doctrine and explanation that these are the only gifts that there are. Don't go looking elsewhere. You don't see that. All the lists are completely different. He wanted to demonstrate, the purpose of Paul doing this was twofold. One, he wanted to demonstrate the variety of gifts the Lord gives. Not only the more seemingly miraculous or charismatic, but also the seemingly more mundane or simple gifts that we take for granted sometimes. The hidden gifts. He also named these, secondly, to deal with the problem of the Corinthian church that will be addressed in chapter 14. A church that was elevating the more glamorous gifts. They needed to know that's just one gift. You can't just have one gift. I think this gift is the most important because it's the most glamorous and you're all chasing this gift, but we need all of the gifts for the body of Christ to be healthy. And we'll get more into that next week. Others have other gifts that are equally and even more manifest the presence of God. So from all these lists, there's no exhaustive list but examples of the varieties of gifts. He also doesn't define these, he just lists them. We can pull from the rest of Scripture what we think these mean, but the purpose of Paul here isn't to define or give instructions on each of these and how to use them. It was to simply give examples of the variety of gifts available from God. What about natural gifts and abilities? What about someone who's born with certain temperaments or personalities or maybe musical or athletic abilities or they're organized naturally, they have compassion, they have a tender-hearted person who cares about people naturally because of birth order and all kinds of reasons, the home they grew up in. These qualities that they demonstrated even before they came to know Christ. Frankly, they would even have these if they weren't a Christian. Well, where did you get those? You're going to credit your parents? Genes? Nature? What do you have that you did not receive? Those are also gifts of His grace intended to be empowered with the Spirit of God and used to manifest the presence of God. Now, you may also receive gifts on top of that once you come to know Christ and the Spirit of God comes alive inside of you and He gives you these charismata. But natural gifts and abilities can also be used as gifts of God's grace to glorify Christ, to make Him known. Which leads to another question, how many gifts do I have? Do they change? Do I always have them? Do they always work? If I have the gift of healing, does that mean that everyone I pray for will be healed? Well, you, you have as many gifts as you desire and the Lord gives. There's no limit. You only have one. They may come, they may go, they may stay. They don't always work because God is ultimately sovereign and decides when He will manifest His Spirit and when He won't. And no, if you have the gift of healing, it doesn't always mean you can walk around just touching people and healing them. It's limited by God's sovereignty. Oh, you, did you want a simple cookie-cutter approach to this? You want to make this easy? Okay, go, go down the road to Program Baptist Church, and they'll give you a simple test to take and simple plan to follow, right? Life in the Spirit is exactly that. Life in the Spirit. Walking with Him, listening, depending upon, remembering He's the Lord. Jesus is Lord. It means I'm not in charge. We don't set the rules. He does. We respond. Now, does this mean that these gifts are all still in effect? We can be given the gift of tongues, the gift of healing, the gift of miracles. We'll get more into this in chapter 13, but the short answer is yes. They are also in effect. These gifts are still available and operational within the body of Christ. Yes, they are vastly abused, which makes us very wary, right? Some of you have experienced it. Some of you have seen it. 
but so were they in Corinth. That didn't keep Paul from writing what he wrote here and again in chapter 14. So, so we'll deal with this more later. This is just like a teaser trailer. You've got to come back. But they're all still operational and available to the church. Last question, the one everyone wants to know, what is my spiritual gift? How do I discover it? And, and go online and find your tests and questionnaires that have been created. I've taken them over the years. Maybe you have too. Honestly, they're really more like personality tests. So let me give you another approach. Um, I call it the immerse and serve method. The immerse and serve method of discovering your spiritual gifts. Number one, immerse yourself in the life of the Spirit and the life of God's people. Are you a child of God? That's the first question. Does the Spirit of God live inside of you? Are you walking in repentance and obedience? Is your heart growing more affectionate toward Christ? Are you feasting on His Word? Are you saving it? Are you loving it? Are you getting to know Him through His Word? Are you engaging deeply in the Word and in prayer? Are you bringing your requests before the Lord and reorienting your life according to His Lordship and Kingship? Are you living for His kingdom more than your kingdom or another kingdom? Are you listening to His voice? Are you developing a tenderness and sensitivity to His voice? Are you immersing your life in the life of the Spirit? Is this the air you breathe, the water that you swim in? And then, are you immersing yourself in the community of God's people, the church? Are you going deep in relationship with others? Do you know them? Do you know their stories, their fears, their struggles, their hang-ups? Equally as important, do they know your fears and struggles and joys and life? That doesn't mean everyone has to know everything, okay? But does anyone know everything? Does even your spouse know everything? Your friend, your brother, your sister in Christ? Do more know some things because we're in this together. We're, we're doing life. We're sharing life as missional communities and DNA groups. Are we, just, are we just playing games? Are we showing up here and playing a game? Putting on a face and going back home and pretending or, or, or being who we really are? As you're immersed in the life of the Spirit, are you, as you're immersed in the life of the body, you quickly become aware of need and opportunity. As people begin to share with you, as you begin to share with others, people have hurts, people have fears, people have physical needs, sickness, struggles, temptations. So as you are immersed in the life of the Spirit, you're immersed in the community, the, the, the thing is, the next, go to work. Begin to serve. Begin to help. Begin to pray. Begin to love. Begin to give. Begin to encourage. Begin to, to use your life, led by the Spirit of God, to, to help your brother or sister out. And, and as you do that, then the body of Christ is built up. And the body of Christ is edified. And people are encouraged when you do this. And they begin to confirm these things. Like a great conversation to have when you're next time your mission and community gathers, is just to ask each other and speak into each other's life. When I do what, do y'all benefit? When I do what? And you may not be able to answer that question because you haven't fully immersed yourself in the life of this body. And so you may just be, be, be incredibly gracious with each other. Incredibly gracious. If we're going to experience this, we're going to have to be incredibly gracious because we are going to make some mistakes. Right? So be incredibly gracious to each other as you share these things, you speak into each other's life. 
But when I do what, you benefit. The body benefits, and the body of Christ confirms. Yes, please do this more. We are blessed. We benefit when you do these things. Because the gifts are given for the common good. And then, as you begin to know deeply and with confidence how the Spirit of God has gifted you, and it might just be for this season of life. Later in life, there might be other gifts. But for this season, this is how He's, he's gifted you. Th- then you can run with confidence in your lane. I don't have to get in everybody else's lane. This is my lane. This is how He's gifted me, how He's created me. This is what I do well. I can run boldly with confidence, exercising, operating within my giftedness for the good of the body of Christ. Because I know this is what He's, what he's doing in me. And the body has confirmed this. How does God show up? How does He show up in our world? He shows up in and through the lives of His people, operating out of the ways in which He's chosen to gift us so that we are the very presence of Christ in the world, the body of Christ, doing the work of Christ. And this work should in many ways resemble the work of Christ Himself in the early church. So read the Gospels. Read the book of Acts. Is that the life we're living? Is that the impact that we're having? Is that the power of God we're experiencing? Is the city of Monroe, West Monroe, and the surrounding region experiencing the power of God through this body in the same way the, the, the areas experience the power of God in the book of Acts? That's what we're after. And we have, we have a ways to go, right? Let's be honest about that. We can't pretend like, oh, we've got this figured out. We're great. No, we're not. There's much room for us to grow in this to be this kind of church in our area. But let's, let's go after it. Let's chase it. Let's earnestly desire these things so that there's a day when people run into the Crossing Church, hear about the Crossing Church, and they can say, man, the power of God is evident in those people. That's what happened in 1 Corinthians 14. Sam Storms, in his book, Practicing the Power, he calls it God going public, and we get to be a part of this. What about you? Are you immersed in the life of the Spirit of God? Are you immersed in the life of the people of God? And are you beginning to serve and look for opportunities to serve, to begin to explore how exactly the Spirit of God has gifted you? Guys, wherever you're at, God is incredibly gracious. Nobody's heaping shame and condemnation and you're a failure and look at all the time you've wasted with your life. Nobody's doing that. God is incredibly gracious. He has you right where He wants you right now. And so respond. Respond in obedience. Respond in repentance. Respond in faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe for the first time, and today you come alive in Christ. Maybe for the the 10,000th time, again, you re-embrace Christ and trust in Him. Father, I'm so grateful. This is Your work. We are Your people. You love us more than we love You. You love us more than we love each other. You love this city more than we love this city. And what you desire for us, for this city, for the nations, is far more than anything that we could conjure up in ourselves. So help us to see clearly where we're at in regards to spiritual gifts. And then come and call us out. Call us forward. Call us to believe and trust you that you would do this good work in us. May you do these things for the glory of Christ alone, we pray in his name. Amen.